0: You'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner.
1: Navigation system. Please say a command. On ignition.
2: Powered. Seat belts fastened. Shift drive. Twin City Sports fans, hold on tight. Live from the TCL broadcast studios. This is the Ride with Royce.
1: All right, Jonathan, are you ready to get hopping back there? Let's do it. All right. Uh, We will be taking phone calls today. We'll be taking questions out front here, and we'll be taking questions that I had tweeted in. George Shire, uh, the man who knows more about the AWA than anyone in the history of wrestling coverage, is uh, with us. Now, last year, the last couple of years, George has been with us on Saturday Uh, I don't work Saturdays anymore, so we had to get George out here to kick off the fair this year. George, where are you you with the latest book?
2: The latest book is almost done. That's the tag team. That's that's the tag team book, and uh, it's going to be worth waiting for. It's a good one. I mean, I'm bragging, of course, but it is. It is a good one. If you're an old AWA wrestling fan and tag team wrestling was your forte, this one is going to be the main event.
1: What are we going to call it? Or don't you know yet? I
2: I I haven't got the word, the end title for it. Okay, yet.
1: well I've always said the uh, great thing about tag teams is twice as much drama,
2: double the trouble. <laughs> double, you got it, double the uh, drama. That's
1: for sure. Repeat for me again uh, where it kind of started. Who who was the genius in uh, wrestling, which of course obviously predated the DAWA? Oh that, yeah, that uh, said, hey, let's put four of these guys together and say that. The one guy has to hold on to a rope before he can to touch off and all that good well, stuff. Well, the
2: idea originated way back as far as 1933, before World War II. Okay. And it was the idea of a promoter in the Pacific Northwest. He came up with the idea that if I put two guys against two other guys, bad guys, good guys, and we create this imaginary rope that they're supposed to hold <laughs> Well, there really was a rope you that know, they're yeah, supposed there was a rope, to hold on yeah. to in the corner but then the idea is, is that you know the the bad guy is always coming in illegally and double teaming, yes, right. and the referee is missing it because he's trying to get the good guy out of the ring, and you've got a uh, lot of lot of chaos
1: from the start. Uh, was uh, we were still we still had some legitimate wrestling
2: in the 30s though, right? Oh I mean, yeah, the late 30s. Oh so. yeah, I mean, wrestling before pre World War or world War II, uh, you know, it was a lot different than what mm-hmm. it evolved to So after if you
1: war. were absolutely cheating, they'd catch you at it. Oh, once yeah. in a while, right?
2: Yeah, every once in a while they did.
1: Yes, right. Uh we have talked uh extensively in the past about great dumb referees of the of the uh AWA. What do we have there? Uh anybody help me out with this sound I'm hearing? Uh there we go. Thank you. Uh Did you hear that? I did. I heard that. I don't know what that was. And Marty Miller's gotten a lot of attention. And uh, tell me some of the other, of the Verne era, some of the other great controversy. All referees were controversial, but Marty was the best. Well, what
2: what fans didn't know, of course, at the time, and they certainly wouldn't have been let in on this, because that was in an era when it was perceived as 100% legitimate. The referee was probably more a key character than the wrestlers themselves sometimes because he had to know at the exact time that something was going to happen that would end the match, and a lot of times he was involved in it, involved in a way where he had to be knocked down so that he didn't see the the bad guy using the proverbial foreign object, brass knuckles, whatever it was, Um, or or a partner interfering and and knocking a, a guy out. The referee had to be, uh, you know, in a key position to do that.
1: And, uh, of course, the uh, – now, when they brought – they'd bring in the celebrity referee once in a while, the, the famous the, – the great boxer,
2: Dempsey or somebody, Joe
1: – somebody like that, right? Well, whenever, a they,
2: whenever they had a, a very, very important match that allegedly the regular referees didn't want to handle it because these guys were too big, too mean, too mm-hmm. rough and out of control – and so they'd bring in the troubleshooter, and a lot of times that was back in the '60s, Jersey Joe Walcott. Okay. You mentioned boxers.
1: Now, a Jersey could not be counted on to be as much of a buffoon as some of the other officials. Well, though,
2: right? it's not so much that he was a buffoon, but he could still be fooled. in on what was going to happen yes. or be fooled. But then he was there too because the fans figured there was going to be that moment when he was going to deck somebody, <laughs> which he, you know, did? which he would <laughs> knock the bad guy out or something, <laughs> and they'd add to it. Um, but you always had that opportunity in the in the '80s. We had benchwarmer Bob Lertzman. Sure. come in. Oh, and really? He, he Is that was, right? I yep, can't remember that. Bench benchwarmer Bob, and he was going to be the referee. And of course, they always had troubleshooters. You know, Tiny Mills when he retired from active wrestling. You know, he was always six yes. foot eight and the king of the lumberjacks. So why not put Tiny as the special? he, he'd, he'd he make could sure enforce, we had order. He, he could enforce the rules. <laughs>
1: All right, now my friend Bill Irvin uh, sent me a letter. One of the last letter writers in America <laughs> sent me a letter, and he knew you were going to be on the show. And it was a question about Stan the Lariat Hanson. Now we've actually misplaced the letter, but you know the details of his uh, of the question he wanted to ask
2: you. Right, Bill, er- uh, Bill Irvin was asking the question about Stan the Lariat Hansen getting the title in the AWA. And then how he lost it,
1: and this would have been. And what time this would frame? have
2: been 1985 to 86 right? when Stan was the AWA champion, somewhat
1: near the end. right? Well,
2: about yeah. they had five years in him, okay. but maybe two two good ones left. Okay. Uh, the story behind it is that by that time frame, it was two years into Vince McMahon taking over the territories in wrestling, and taking the business national. So. Stan Hansen was one of the few guys that didn't sign on with any promotion. He was kind of an independent contractor. He was very much a draw. He came into the AWA, and Vern decided that because of what he was going against against McMahon, the WWF at the time, he needed to put the title on Stan Hansen. Now, Stan Hansen was the type of a guy that, if he didn't like something on the spur of the moment, he'd walk on you or he wouldn't agree to something. And, you know, he was just his own, his uh, own boss. Uh,
1: his real name? Uh, his real name Stan is Hance? Stan Ames. And where John, was he his from? His real
2: first name is John. But it, where he was he from? It. From Borger, Texas. Oh, OK.
1: So he was a Texas yeah. guy. And is that where he originally made yep. his uh, reputation? Yep. He, he,
2: he gained his original uh, start working for the, the Funk Brothers out of oh, Amarillo, sure. Texas yeah. in, yep. in the training camp down there that... The, the Funks, they had a hand in, in guys like Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes and Bruiser Brody and, of course, Terry and Dory Funk. Uh, many, many wrestlers came out of there. So Stan Hansen gets the championship, and he has this idea that because he has the title, he can do whatever he wants. He He was making a lot of his money at the time in Japan, and that was a very lucrative payday for him, working for the giant Baba in Japan, and so Bob assigns him to a contract to come over and defend the title. Well, Vern Gagne in the meantime says, I don't want you to be gone from my territory for a long time, and i got to have you on my cards. So he gets to Denver one night in June of 86, uh, 85, mm. and uh, he tells Stan that night that he's going to drop the title to Nick Bockwinkle, who was okay. his challenger. And, and Hanson said, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> And you know him and Vern got into a little push and shove, and Stan says, you know, a proverbial "f you." He takes the championship belt and he leaves the building. <laughs> now, now Vern is struck with an uh, with a uh, dilemma there because now he's got his main event just blew up on him. Nick is supposed to be challenging for the title, so Nick or Vern went out to the audience in Denver and he said. Uh, Stan Hansen has refused to defend the title to Nick Bockwinkle. He's obviously afraid of the former champion. Mm-hmm. He's left the building he has. He won't defend. And by default, I'm naming Nick Bockwinkle the new world okay. champion. Now, Bill Irvin, in his letter, he made the comment that uh, he thought the next champion was Larry Zbysko. But it was Nick Bockwinkle. And we went from Nick Bockwinkle then to Kurt Hennig. Larry's son okay. holding the championship Larry lost it to Jerry the King Lawler and then eventually Lawler and Vern Gagne had some, dis- some dispute over paydays and so Lawler was stripped of the title and it was won by Larry Zbyszko in a battle royal, of all silly things. Mm-hmm. And Larry was the last AWA champion. <laughs> and now, Stan
1: still went to Japan with the belt, acting like he was still the champion.
0: Well, and, and
2: this is where the, the fun story comes in. Stan was his own guy, and if he didn't like what a promoter was or wasn't doing, he did what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So he took the title belt to Japan. Oddly enough, Giant Baba still billed him as the world champion oh, over no. there with Vern's belt. <laughs> So for a while, there really was two champions. Nick had no belt, and he was the champ, and Stan had a belt and wasn't the champ. But then Stan did the funniest thing possible, funny in hindsight. Vern Gagne sent him a letter telling him that, or through an attorney, that he wanted his championship belt back. (laughs) Stan, he, he obliged, but before he did, he took, it, he took his pickup truck, and he ran over the belt, <laughs> stuck it in the box, and sent it back to Vern. Oh, man. And so the belt came back pretty much banged up. Did, uh, Vern, and that was that was what you. Did what he Vern told.
1: sue him for belt damages? Or no, Vern ended up getting
2: it. a new championship belt made about a year later, but uh, that was the story that Stan sent it back to him in a package, and... Here it is.
1: All right, out there in the audience, when we come back, if somebody's
2: got a good question,
1: uh, they can, we just don't want some half-assed question here. We want a real question. They can win a Krabby Coffee Shop uh, cup, uh, coffee cup. It would be uh, fantastic. Uh, we uh, shall return. Uh, this is the Ride with Ricey. We're at the Minnesota State Fair. Day one. We're at the uh, State Fair, uh, the ride with Ricey. George Shire is with us. He cannot be, tomorrow the lake detective is here with Joe. He can't be stumped on water. George can't be stumped on the AWA. Uh, Sir, what's your name? Lund. What's your name? Daryl Lund. Daryl Lund. Are you any relation to the Lunds from uh, Midway? Minnesota. Uh, Managa. No. I'm okay. Not. Well, they got a lot of baseball players up there named uh, playing for the Snurbergs. Uh All right. Uh, what is your question, sir?
0: Well, I mind my, my own business watching an old movie one night from 1958 called Party Girls. And Lee J. Cobb plays the part of uh, Rico Angelo. And one of the scenes, he beats a man mercilessly with a cue stick. And at the end of the movie, the host explains that the actor that played the part of the man being beaten was a professional wrestler. Lee J. Cobb was amazed at how tough this guy was as he's beating him with this cue stick They said his shtick as a professional wrestler was to dress in a full tuxedo when he went into the ring, and I think he sang opera. Have you ever heard of this guy?
2: What year did you say the movie was? The movie was 1958. All right. I've never seen the movie, so I I can't speak to who you're speaking of. But the only wrestlers around that time frame that may have fit a tuxedo-type gimmick, and that wouldn't have been around here, may have been Leslie Holmes. But I'm only guessing because <laughs> I, I, will, I will look into that. I wrote down that Party Girls was the name of the movie. Party Girls. I will look into that and right. see who it was. Um, I know it wasn't anybody from Minneapolis territory. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I recorded it. I had the name, and I did not write it down and
2: bring it with me. Okay. I, I there, 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 was a, there was an ex-wrestler who was in a lot of movies, and people would be surprised how many times you saw him playing a tough guy. His name was Mike Mazurki. Oh yeah, but Mike Mazurki never did a tuxedo gimmick, okay. so I'll have to look into that. All right,
1: thank okay. you. you well, bet. I, I uh, was uh, stick around here. I was. Uh, how did we run? Ac- I ran across this Mazurki, uh, looking something up, and he. You're right. He was. He basically left wrestling and yeah. spent his career out in Hollywood getting shot in movies. right? If you,
2: if you look at a lot of old Western movies from yep. the fifties and sixties. Um, even some of the sitcoms, Mr. Ed, uh, a lot of shows. Mike Mazurki would show up as a as a heavy in the show. Um, there's also some Maverick episodes he was in. He, you, if you look at the credits, Iron Mike Mazurki was his
1: name. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, the guy you mentioned, uh, Leslie,
2: Holmes. Captain Leslie Holmes. And
1: where was where did he the, make? He would have been out
2: of California. Mm-hmm. but i 'm not sure if that 's the guy, so i don 't want that to be gospel i 'll have to check out this movie
0: <laughs> well, and he also the host also said he was uncredited he mm-hmm. was uncredited in the movie credits at yep. the end
2: and that yeah. happened a lot in movies and even t v shows in those days you 'd sure. have actors that didn 't get the billing yeah and and they may have been you know a semi big part in the show
0: i 'll play that back so I can see it and i 'll send it to you <laughs> that's
2: all right. Sounds good.
1: Okay. Thank you. Uh, All right. This is uh, uh, Paul from Burnsville. We got Paul on the phone. What's up, Paul?
2: Hey, this goes back to the Calhoun Beach Club in the 60s. We used to drive some ladies to church, so we always got tickets to go watch the wrestling. And I remember one time, I thought it was the Calhoun Beach Club. There was a wrestling match where Dr. X got his mask pulled off, and we finally found out who that guy was. And I know it was a big story at the time. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little
1: bit. They wouldn't have done that on the the, uh, TV show. Well,
2: they did did have Dr. X lose his mask in 1972 at the uh, Calhoun Beach Club tapings. Really? And it was a deal where Ray Stevens had uh, taken the ring bell. And when Dr. X got tangled up in the ropes, (laughs) Ray Stevens took the ring bell and Uh proceeded to break his leg okay uh the story behind that is that dr x needed to have some knee surgery so this was a way to explain for him being out okay so he didn't really break his leg but in the match dr x allegedly was in so much pain that he removed his mask
1: oh so he didn't nobody ripped it off no
2: no i i have pictures of him being carried from the ring and he did have his mask removed but they wow. never they never identified him although i will point out that two years earlier they did identify him when he was unmasked in st paul as being dick byer who was the destroyer so how, you've
1: explained this to me before but how could they then bring him back two years later they brought him back as a different person
2: no they brought him back as dr x two years later and just never mentioned that he was unmasked in <laughs> <laughs> and they relied, they relied on wrestling fans for the most part to either have changed, and you know some of them aren't around anymore, yes, right. or they have short memories. Okay, well. that's really how promoters now, did, work.
1: Didn't you tell me he had a different name here than
2: he had elsewhere? Too, there was another
1: Destroyer or
2: something. Well, he wrestled nationally as the Destroyer under a mask from okay. 1962 to 1967, and Vern Gagne wanted him to come into the AWA and the destroyer had an agreement with any promoter he worked for that he would never be unmasked because this was his livelihood. Okay. He made money. He could, they could have matches saying he'll unmask if he loses, and yeah. you know the, the opponents would try to take the mask off, but he was never going to lose his mask. So with that as an uh, exception to Vern, Vern says we'll come up with a totally different identity for you. We'll create a new masked man. And it was Dr. X from from Parts Unknown. Parts
1: Unknown. What, did we change the color of the mask or something? Well,
2: as the destroyer, he wore a white mask. So he was a good guy? And he was a bad guy, but he wore a white mask. (laughs) He had uh, normally red or blue trunks on and white boots. That was the destroyer. When he came in as Dr. X, he had a full black mask completely covering the eye holes. And he wore a black tunic, black trunks, black boots, Mm. And he was obviously nobody recognized.
1: And he had a pretty good run here. How many years? He
2: ran here from 67 to 70. Then he left for two years and came back, had a good guy run for about another year and a half. Good guy?
1: How'd they make him a good guy?
2: Well, because Ray Stevens, he got into a fight with, you know, Ray Ray Stevens.
1: Ray was so bad that anybody that Larry
2: Hennig and uh, Lars Anderson attacked him, and he had to go to the babyface side.
1: And what is that question that we have been handed
2: here? Uh, We were Uh,
1: handed this question.
2: A guy named Mike handed me a question. He wants to know where was Vern Gagne's wrestling training barn located? His barn was located out out on the outskirts of Excelsior, Minnesota, where Vern lived. It was an old barn. And what Vern used this for is about every year or every other year, he would get a bunch of young hopefuls who wanted to be trained for the professional wrestling, and they'd come to Vern, and Vern, if you knew Vern, you had to realize that he had an amateur wrestling background. He was a legit wrestler first and a performer, professional wrestler second. So when he trained a wrestler, he wanted them trained in the fundamentals of wrestling first, and then if we need to create a gimmick for you or some character for you, we'll work with that after the fact. And every year, he would get a bunch of guys. It used to be unique, Pat, because they'd, they'd get 12 guys that would line up, and, you know, they're all saying, I'm going to be a wrestler. And usually about the end of the first couple of days, there were about half of them that were walking with their tail between their legs. Yes. Because Vern and his helpers, he had guys like Billy Robinson and Gene Anderson, and he would, they would really just really get these guys a, a workout, and they would leave. By the time they get done with the camp, you'd end up with two or three or four guys that would make it to the end, and then they would have their pro career. Now, you have to remember some of the great names that came out of these camps. First and foremost, guys like Baron Von Raschke, Larry Hynemi, who became Luscious Lars Anderson, Larry Pretty Boy Hennig, later the Axe Hennig, he came out of the camp, Uh, Rick Flair, the nature boy. Blackjack Lanza, Blackjack Mulligan, uh, Ole Anderson, who was Rock Rogowski, Al Rogowski, when he entered Vern's camp. And there were, there were Ver, Greg Gagne and I sat down one time and we counted how many guys came into the business through the training of Vern Gagne's camp. And then we were over 150 really? guys. Wow, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yep. I mean, we could keep listing. And every one of these guys went around the country and made big money in the wrestling business.
1: George Shire is with us. If you want to ask him a question on the phone, 651-646-8255. We shall return to the State Fair. John height with a sports update so any any late breaking news on urban no, meyer
3: th- well i do have an urban meyer story yes okay i don't, uh, I don't have anything, nothing new nothing new, new just the old stuff uh, everybody's
1: trying to figure out how urban is so safe eight loss eight losses in six years uh-huh. that'll uh, get you some job security
3: funny how that works uh speaking of urban uh investigators uh, found upon learning accusations made by courtney smith in that august first report uh, Urban Meyer and a fellow football staffer talked about how to adjust settings on Urban's phone so that yes. text messages more than a year old would be deleted. When investigators examined Meyer's phone, they did not find any messages more than a year old, but said they were unable to tell when Meyer adjusted the settings on the phone to get rid of those old messages. He didn't want
1: it cluttered up. He didn't want it cluttered up.
3: Yeah, you get too many, you know. I think,
1: uh, I think it was Judd today that said, if you're going to make, if you're going to, Have phone calls and texts and stuff. Get a second phone.
3: Yeah. And
1: uh, uh, get a second phone.
2: Explain this to me. Don't have one owned by the company. When I delete a message, it's gone forever, right? Right. Forever, ever. I think so. mm -hmm.
1: No, no, they can go
2: find it.
3: I think you can find forensic scientists who can go get it if the police want to go get Mm -hmm. it. Those people can be bought off, Mm -hmm. right? No, I don't (laughs) think so. Dude, it's just go
1: throw it in the river. Go throw the other phone in the river.
3: Will right. that help? Yeah. Will that work, John? I'm not going to find it in the river.
1: Isn't that what Tom Brady did with the whole deflate gate thing? Like yeah, he destroyed he, his phone yes, or something that's like right. that. As he should have.
3: Meyer, Meyer denied knowing <laughs> anything about the 2015 incident when he was asked at a Big Ten media days, July 24th, if he knew of any other. <laughs> yes, but he has memory issues. Domestic-related yeah. issues involving Zach Smith during their Whoa. time. At Ohio State. I, I got news
1: for you. When he comes back to Ohio Stadium for the first time, 105,000 people are going to rise and uh, cheer oh, him oh, as yeah. if uh, and that's
0: Nero
3: has returned. That's what Standing ovation. Mm-hmm.
0: I
1: just wish people would stop defending him. That's just what's been
3: driving me nuts. Uh, Twins A's tonight at Target Field. Uh, pitching for the Twins, trying again. It'd be nice to get a good start from young Cole Stewart, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, get a good yeah. one from him.
1: He throws better than uh, Gonsalves, at least uh, velocity-wise.
3: Uh, Trevor Cahill is pitching for Oakland. Another
1: one of the miracle starters for the Oakland A's.
3: That When that was mentioned, that starting rotation the past month or mm-hmm. so for them, it reminded me of the things the Twins were doing when they'd pick up the third yeah. and fourth line pitchers. Yeah. Well,
1: Perky said that he saw something that uh, they're under two
3: ERA since August 1st. Or Unbelievable. Or so. Unbelievable. Yep. Unbelievable. Uh, the Minnesota Miracle, remember that play Sure. Uh, in the game against New Orleans? Uh, you now can uh, get that in bobblehead form if you'd, oh, really? if you'd like. And it's a limited it's gotta edition. It's got to be a big bobblehead. Uh, it's a limited edition. We got the
1: pass and the catch?
3: We got the catch and the pass. I saw. Uh, do we show the
1: tackler whiffing? We
3: do not. We show Case Keenum like this and okay. Stephon Diggs like okay. this. All right. So uh, if you uh, are not familiar with it, you can pick it up at bobbleheadhall.com. So it's not a Vikings thing.
1: Okay. Uh, so well then go ahead and get it.
3: Are you getting a cut? Why are you giving the address? <laughs> There are only 1,000 bobbleheads available, so it'll be mm-hmm. a limited. They ad- won't
1: be as hot a ticket as the Krabby Coffee Shot coffee cup. But, Which, uh,
2: by the uh, way, Patrick. Sold out? They're gone. Are
3: you really? serious? They're gone. All of them sold? All
2: gone. What a country.
3: Yeah, right. I told them. Okay. I told them. Yeah, yeah, we were right again. I think everybody told them after mm-hmm. they heard how I just, many
1: were
2: ordered. I just saw the boss walk by. We could berate him publicly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then again.
3: he uh, gone.
2: He's Then gone. again.
3: Let's not. Uh, Thank you, John. Yes, you're
0: welcome. Want access? Exclusive access to U.S. Bank Stadium? Then purchase your tickets now for CCFA's Touch of Flag Football Tournament on September 8th. Flag football teams will take over the field in a six-on-six tournament to raise money for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. The day also includes exclusive stadium tours, memorabilia memorabilia auction, 1500 ESPN Fan Zone, and more. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events.
1: You this is the George Shire experience. First day of the State Fair uh, on the ride with Ricey. Uh You cannot stump George on an AWA issue. If you have any questions, we got the microphone out in front. We have Tom on the phone. Tom, what is your question for George Shire?
2: I've always liked listening to you when you come on with Ricey. Uh We'll miss you when the show's over. Um, my dad and I have had a, a continual debate until he passed away that uh super destroyer my dad says was dr x i say he was sergeant slaughter are either of us right well your dad is right it was uh you said which one said it was uh sergeant slaughter
1: no he did the, the, the steve uh, tom said it was sergeant slaughter.
2: tom you are correct it was sergeant slaughter bob remus he was Super Destroyer Mark II. Wow! The first Super Destroyer that was here was Don Jardine, who wrestled other places as the Spoiler under a mask. The Spoiler.
1: Okay, I never heard of him.
2: And he well, he was he was more Texas and uh, Southern territories. Mm-hmm. He sounds like he might have cheated once in a while. He might have. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you that uh, while we were on the break, I got a text from yes. Greg Ganya. Yes. And Greg said he's listening, and he said, I'm exposing the business, <laughs> and I better get it right. Okay. So he said that uh, Vern Gagne's training barn was in Chanhassen. Okay. Now, the only thing I'm worried about now is that I'm going to have to experience the sleeper from no, Greg. we don't want Greg,
1: that. We don't want that. From
2: Greg. Greg's a great guy, and... Mm-hmm. What a great career he had. And, you know, mm-hmm. I want to just say this, and I'm not saying this because I know he's listening, mm-hmm. but one of the things that always bothered me about pro wrestling was that there were fans that would say that Greg was too small or Greg got treatment because he was the daddy's son and that sort of thing. And I can tell you firsthand that wasn't the case. Uh, Greg worked his butt off, and I always saw Greg wrestle guys like Lanza and Bachwinkle and Mad Dog and you name it. And he gave 110%. And to show you how good Greg was, when I talked with Nick Bockwinkle several years back, I asked him who were some of the guys that he enjoyed working against and with in the AWA. And the first guy he mentioned was Greg Gagne. And he said, and I'm going to quote this, he said, wrestling Greg was like having a night off. <laughs> and that is a compliment. Not, because, not not because he wasn't
1: rugged. Right. But because that he, is
2: the highest compliment that wrestlers could pay each other, that wrestling Greg was having a night off because it was always a good match and Greg could work a good match and they worked well together. And their matches were always classics. Mm-hmm. So... I say that, and Greg, please promise I don't get the sleeper on Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, now, now, again, Sergeant Slaughter and the Super Destroyer. Give me a timeline on that, then.
2: Well, in 1978, uh, Super Destroyer was here, and that was Don Jardine.
1: And he originally tech, another Texas guy? He
2: was, he was a Texas guy. He had worked for Vern in the early 60s under the name of Sonny Cooper. But oh, really? he went on to become nationally known as Don Jardine, and then later the spoiler with a mask. And then Vern brought him in as the super destroyer,
1: and was did we have another destroyer in town then or nope, not? no nope this nope. was
2: so that he was going to be
1: the you always had to
2: have the mask guy well he was he was the new mask guy in town, and he had a good run he he was teamed with uh Lord Alfred Hayes was okay. his manager, and he had Angelo King Kong Mosca as a tag team partner ooh uh Jardine he the way the story goes, uh, it come time at the end of his run where it would probably should have unmasked, and Jardine didn't agree, and he left. Okay. He left the territory. So Vern called on Bob Remus, who Vern had also trained for the professional wrestling business a few years earlier. And he called on Bob Remus to put on a mask. Remus became bigger and better than <laughs> Super Destroyer. He was Super Destroyer Mark II. Okay, all right. And he wrestled as Mark II for about two or three years. And then eventually when he left, he went on and created the Sergeant Slaughter character, which a lot of fans related to.
1: He created that after
2: the mask guy. After the mask guy. And he was Sergeant Slaughter both as a, a heel and a baby face. Had a good run with Vern uh, as Slaughter in the 80s. What was
1: what was, uh, what was the sergeant's military background? What well, that, was his storyline?
2: That I, I he was a drill sergeant originally. That was yeah. the story. Oh, okay. So he, originally Marine he actually, Corps. Or what? He actually started as DI Bob Slaughter, drill okay. sergeant or, or drill instructor Bob Slaughter. Okay. And then he became Sergeant Slaughter. Yes. Now I, I don't know for a fact whether he had any military background, no, but it was a great uh, it was a great gimmick that worked very well for him and he oh, yes. you know Bob Remus was a great guy as well.
1: All right uh, uh, that's uh, that's your answer, Tom. Steve there is Steve there. Uh, we have a call from Steve.
2: Wisconsin calling a uh, big fan of both ears. Of George, you're brilliant in your uh, all your works. <laughs> You're Uh, you're delusional, but thank you. (laughs) Found on the career of George Catalina Drake, and was he indeed on one episode of The Adventures of Superman
3: back (laughs) in the 1950s? Thanks, guys.
2: Yes, he was. George Catalina George, Drake? George, he was George Catalina Drake. The Catalina was part of... He was always billed out of coming from the Catalina Islands, wherever the heck they were. Uh,
1: I think in, in, Catalina is right off of a, uh, Southern California. Of the
2: Southern California. Yeah. And George Drake was a great wrestler, worked here in the 60s for Vern Gagne. Uh, he was usually in a, a mid-card or a TV wrestler role. But you are correct. He did wrestle in a in an episode of S- the Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. It was an episode called No Holds Barred, <laughs> and George Drake was in the movie or in the show playing a wrestler. And uh, sadly, he left us in 1969. Wow. Uh, at a very young age, but great, great wrestler, great worker. Since you
1: bring up wrestlers uh, from uh, that part of Southern California, is there any truth to the rumor that Jesse Ventura was
2: not from San Diego, California?
1: I don't know. You have to ask Jesse. <laughs> I'd hate to, uh, I'd hate to uh, think he was fooling us all those years. Well, we'll be... was Nick Bockwinkle from Beverly Hills? <laughs> he could have been. He, he had been. the swagger. Uh, we'll be uh, back and get a question here from the audience when we come back. George uh, has an answer on Party Girls. Who was the uh, wrestler in Party Girls?
2: I had my friend Brian out of uh, Kansas City, Lawrence, Kansas, I'm sorry. Lawrence, Kansas. He told me that it was Aaron Saxon. Now, I've never heard that name of a wrestler. I don't know who he is. Uh, Obviously, he didn't have a long career, and he would enter the ring in a suit, and he would quote Shakespeare.
1: Okay,
2: <laughs> so didn't sing opera. He that, that, that's here. a new one. Okay, um, but I've never heard of the guy, so I'm guessing his career was very short and small, and that doesn't mean that he wasn't a good wrestler or anything. Some guys just came in the business for a cup of coffee.
1: Do you have a question, sir?
2: Yes, I do. Yes, what's I do? your What's your name? Paul.
1: Paul, where are you from? Ah, right here in St. Paul. Okay, what's the question? Okay, I remember watching the AWA back in the day, and the Hulk. Hulk Hogan and Jesse
0: Ventura. And Hulk Hogan always say, I got the biggest pythons, and I always thought Jesse's were just as big. But I don't remember them two having a, a battle back then.
1: Did they ever have a uh, match set
0: match?
2: When, when Jesse and Hulk were in the AWA, they were building up all the time to an eventual showdown between the two of them. Hulk, of course, the baby face. Jesse was the heel. Uh, They did meet a lot in tag team matches at the time where Hulk would have partner and Jesse, of course, would usually have Adrian Adonis. Uh, The buildup was always there, but by the time it got close, Hogan had jumped to the WWF. Then shortly after Jesse had jumped to the WWF, again there was a buildup coming for that match, and Jesse ended up having to leave the business due to blood clots. Oh, yeah. And he was unable to. So they never wrestled. They did wrestle. Oh, yeah, they wrestled. Okay. And uh, it just didn't come to climax like they had hoped. Okay. One other
0: quick one. There was a uh, battle royal down at the Civic Center that I went to, and I remember Andre was in it, Hulk, had all the big names. I was wondering if you might remember who won it. Because I can't remember who won it, but I was there. It was too long ago
2: for me to remember. There were many battle royals. I'm guessing if you said Andre and Hulk were in it, one particular one stands out. It was Mad Dog Vachon that ended up winning it. But again, there were others too, so I'm not saying that was the exact one you were at. Mad Dog won it because they were pushing him to have a title shot.
1: Okay. Okay. Thanks. Okay. George by the way uh refuses to give out speculative information. You want you you have brought facts to pro wrestling, which is almost impossible. <laughs> <laughs> you you uh, in fact we were gonna have George on uh next week and then uh, this this worked out better. And what did you say that they always said at top of the program for a wrestling match?
2: Well, I was going to be on with Pat next Wednesday at this same time. Pat calls me last night about five o'clock, and he says, "What are you doing tomorrow night?" <laughs> I said, "Well, what, what's going on?" He says, "I need you to come in tomorrow." And I said, okay, I'll make it work. I said, you know, there's an old saying in wrestling, the program is always subject to change. <laughs> That's what it always said. And it was at the top I... <laughs> of every lineup sheet in the program.
1: <laughs> That's right. And uh, even if they changed... Uh even if the guy refused to show up, he was, you had no options as a, as a ticket buyer. No, nope,
2: it's just they put in a suitable opponent, uh, whoever it was going to be.
1: All right, we have a bunch of phone callers, and uh, if you're online, uh, we will get to you in about three or four minutes. So hang in there. This is the George Sire Experience at the State Fair.